Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. You know, our our church has had a long relationship with uh, ICCM Life Center, and um, we there was an outpouring because we were one of the only um, areas in, in the suburban areas taking collections during the protests. And if you weren't here or you didn't know what was happening, our foyer, when we would empty it of food, we would come back and it would be full. It, it, was, it was like this miraculous um, thing just from the community. People from the South Metro, from way north, started coming and, and bringing food. And we went, to, uh, we went directly to some apartments that were um, immediately affected, but we also went to ICCM with Chris and Monica. Monica came and preached last year here at our church, and uh, we, they feed people all the time. So it wasn't like a one-time thing where they were able to feed people. This is an organization that has been feeding people for every day for a long time. And so when we would bring the food in, some of you saw our fa- pictures on Facebook, they were, there were people in the kitchen preparing food at the time. And they, we were the first church or anybody to bring food to them. And so they were so excited. And that's why it's really exciting for us that, you know, our summer camps and all those type of things are not happening right now. But our youth group, some um, adults here in the church, and Jane is working with ICCM to do their first day camp. And so we're going to be going for four days, and we're going to be assisting and helping them. And that's why we're saying, hey, if you want to bring snacks for kids, not canned foods, but snacks for kids, so at the end of each day that in these inner city areas they're able to go home with food and snacks, we want to encourage you to be a part of that. And so uh, we'll have just a drop-off place in the foyer in the next couple of weeks where you can come and, and uh, drop off snacks so we can um, invest in this great ministry that we already do monthly. We support them monthly as well. Well, if uh, you're new here or maybe you're joining online and you just happen to stumble upon us, I'm Pastor Dale, lead pastor of Life Assembly Church. And uh, as you can tell, it is a 4th of July weekend, Right? Right? Yes, it's good. I hope you guys enjoyed yourself. I feel like I was a great American in Minnesota, and I, I grilled. Um, I lit off fireworks. I think mostly legal. I lit fireworks off, and uh, I got eaten up by mosquitoes. And so all the things that make us American and in Minnesota. And so I hope you guys enjoyed yourselves uh, this week as much as, as much as we did. Let's pray and let's get started today. Heavenly Father, we are uh, a humble people that I think now more than any other time in our lives, we realize our reliance and our need for you. And as our church is all over on vacations and at home and different places, Lord, I ask that, that you minister to each one of them, that you protect them, and that uh, you direct their eyes and their hearts towards you. In your holy name we pray, and the church said, amen and amen. Well, it's good to see you. Good to see your faces today. Um, you know, last week we started this study in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, and it this started when I was just earlier in the year and I, I was reading my Bible and I couldn't stop writing notes in it. Anyone else write in their Bibles? I, it, was, it was a mess. And I was like, oh my goodness, there, there is a lot here for us as a church. But that's not even what, 
what um, sparked this is something that I came across. And as a pastor, you'll see why this was really important to me. And, and I'm going to read this in a second. You'll see it in the text. But in verse 12, this is 2 Peter chapter 1. In verse 12, Peter says, Therefore, I intend always to remind, say remind, remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Okay, so I'm going to remind you, but you already know. Okay, then the next verse, verse 13, I think it right as long as I am in this body, and he's referring twice, he refers to the fact that he's not going to be living much longer. While I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Say reminder. Okay. Then we skip verse 14 and go to verse 15. And I make every effort so that after my departure, there he goes again, he knows he's not going to be around much longer, you may be able to at any time to recall, say recall, recall these things. In other words, Peter is saying, and we, we talked about this last week. This is his last will and testament. This is the last writing. Uh, we know that this was written in the first century between 63 and 65. And at this time, this is when Nero um, was ruling. And those of you that know the history of Nero, it was a wild time. I can't even begin to talk about the nightmare atrocities that were happening, especially to Christians. And he is writing these, and he's saying, you cannot forget this. You need to remember this. Therefore, I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to remind you. And so as your pastor, I'm going, oh my goodness, this is important. I need to remind you and myself. This is very, very important. And Peter made it very clear for us today. Now, as we talked about last week, these three chapters of Peter um, are extremely important, and, and I believe that as he was explaining this to his people and to the church as his last will and testament, he's saying, this is what is so important to me, and here's what I see, here's what's happening. In the first chapter, he's saying, hey, you need to remember these things. Get it in you. Do not forget. And then he warns the church, there are false prophets. There are people trying to lead you away. And that's exactly what was happening. And you know what he was saying? He's, he was saying, there's no resurrection. If Jesus were to come, he would have already come back. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? There's no resurrection. There's nothing. There's nobody coming back for you. So I think as a pastor, it's important that I talk about this and I pray that it gets in you. That it gets in you so that you can recall it that you can remember it, and that it can be a part of you and your spirit. Amen? I don't know. I want to say amen here. So here's a few things just to, to remind you, and, and if you were gone from last week, you'll just maybe, um, I, I would say, if you can listen again, because we really painted a really strong foundation in, in what Peter was saying. But first of all, Peter was an extremely ordinary guy. And, and this is the type of stuff that makes me excited because I think if God can use Peter, he can use me and he can use you. That's something to get excited about. He was a Galilean fisherman. I compared him to a construction worker. He worked with his hands. He was a hard worker. He was a business owner. He had employees. He had, he had a lot of things to do. He was a family man. He had a couple daughters. We know this about him. 
He was somebody who worked around construction people and talked like construction people. Sometimes his language and the things that came out of him were not the most godly, which then makes you wonder, and Jesus called him. Hmm, I like that. I like that. He was a man of action. We're going to talk about that in a second. He was a passionate man. He was full of passion. Out of all the disciples, I think I would have wanted to see him in action more than anyone else because I would have been laughing all the time at this guy. He was the first to jump out of the boat, and actually the only to jump out of the boat, to walk on water towards Jesus. Though he sunk after his faith failed after a little bit, Lord brought him up. But at least he did it. And you know what? I, I think this is easily forgotten by people is that he also jumped out of the boat again. That was pre-resurrection, pre-crucifixion. At the end, when Jesus came again and, and Peter went back to his construction work, he went back to fishing because that's what he knew to do and he had just lost sight of what Jesus was actually doing when he was alive. And he went back to what he knew best and he was fishing and all of a sudden, there was this guy in the shore, and he didn't quite recognize him, and he was starting a fire, and it says that he was, like, Jesus was grilling fish. I don't know. I would think that Jesus' fish would just be the best, don't you? I don't know. That's just my thought. Anyway, some good, yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm going to go off track here. So here, Jesus says, hey, throw your net over there. And, you know, for whatever reason, they listened to this stranger on the beach, and the net just started getting full again, another miraculous catch. Peter didn't care. He knew that that meant resources and finances and money. Let's get this money in. He didn't care. He jumped out of the boat again because he wanted to meet and see his Savior, a man of passion. You know, there's also this um, other part of Peter that, again, a man of action, that when they got word from the ladies that Jesus' body wasn't there, that there was a resurrection, it says that Peter took off. Man of action. He ran for the tomb. And then John recorded in his gospel that he started running too, but he outran Peter because he was faster. And so you can tell there's like this competition and this just fun, you know, I don't know. These, these guys are just awesome. In other words, Peter was all in. He was all in even when he was wrong. He did things wrong. It's like he, he didn't just do a little bit of speeding. He got a, a lot of speeding. His car was towed. Okay, he didn't say, oh, just put a little bit of ice cream next to my cake. No, he said, just pour it on, right? He, he was all in all the time. And why does this characteristic of, of Peter matter? Because when you think about it, if a guy like this that is this passionate and all in, don't you think he's going to write in the same way? Don't you think that he's going to take this passion and he's going to take these things that when he was around Jesus, one of the three, Peter, James, John, the closest to Jesus, that he is going to take this, this whatever is in him and he is just going to spew it out, which tells you he is a construction worker. Where at Paul, he created theology almost. He created just the, the idea of, of philosophy and Christianity and using from writers from all over the place. You can see Paul's brilliance where Peter was not a man that, that he was a study to some of these. But yet he writes with this passion and what we absolutely need in our lives. Why? Because he was a man that was with Jesus. He was a man that was with Jesus. 
Now, he didn't always understand his messages. Peter tried to protect Jesus when he was being arrested, and so he took his sword and cut off somebody's ear. He's been around Jesus this whole time, and yet he didn't understand what Jesus had to do. He didn't always get it. He betrayed Jesus after he was arrested. Again, it just didn't all sink in what was truly happening. And again, Peter, when, when it came time at the Last Supper for Jesus to start washing his disciples' feet, Peter thought, no way will my Lord wash my feet. And Jesus said, you cannot even partake in the kingdom of God unless you allow me to serve you. And friends, that's what Christ has done for us. He has served us with his life. And as, as, as he told that to Peter, Peter said, well, then wash every part of me. That this, this is how Peter was. He doesn't always understand it, and sometimes he got it wrong. But what we see with Peter is he's somebody that was humble enough to make things right, and he got on, on track. And, and this is why Peter was the one, the first to declare that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Almighty One, that he is the true Messiah. And this is when Jesus declared the powerful statement, and it wasn't on who Peter was at the moment, it was who he was going to be, that you, Peter, using his name as a, as a word of rock, that somebody like you, I can build my church. I love the ordinality of Peter, a normal guy. And Jesus, in the same way, looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, I can do something with you. And there is an expectation of God using you, God using me, and becoming more than we ever could ourselves when we give him our life and when we depend on him. I'm going to start in, in verse 3 um, as a reminder for us, as a second Peter, starting in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises. So that, I always circle so that in my Bibles because there's going to be a response now that so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So that you get to be a part of who God is in his attributes. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. I compared that last week to Shawshank Redemption. You know, the, the, just the getting out of this world is, is like being able to get out um, of an escaping from Shawshank. Just such a, a great, great visual and great movie. <laughs> For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So in other words, this is how you add to your faith. You do it with virtue, or some, some uh, say with excellence, and with, then you build on it with virtue, with knowledge, and with knowledge, with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and with steadfastness, with godliness, and with godliness, with brotherly affection, and with brotherly affection, with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... So it's not that you worked on them one time in your life. This is, there is an expectation from God that we are increasing in this area in our lives. That we would be kept from being 
ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities are nearsighted in that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, if you can go to that first slide for me here. Why did Peter write this second letter to the church? And again, I'm just repeating what Peter already wrote to us. One, that we would increase in knowledge. Two, that we would become partakers in God's divine nature. Three, we would not become ineffective or unfruitful. We would not become nearsighted or blind. That we would confirm our calling in Christ. That we would practice these qualities and not fall. He said that you will not fall if you do these things. And that we would enter God's eternal kingdom. There is a promise that, hey, if you are doing these things, if you are following after God, not only will you not fall, you are going to be sharing in God's gifts and his promises for you. So we built these foundations, the importance of 2 Peter 1 on these seven virtues or the seven qualities Christians should strive for. And I love that he says that it will go well for you if you do these things. So for us, take note. Remember, be reminded, recall this. <clears throat> so today, I regret to inform you that we will be talking about one of the most unfun and potentially most disruptive, confrontive attributes that God wants us to develop. The wisdom literature in Scripture mostly talks about this trait. And I understand it's one thing to bring up the word self-control. There I named it. But it's another to poke around our nests, right? To, to take the stick and, and poke the wasp nest. So today, I hope to cast a few lines close enough to maybe get a few bites. All right? Um, but not to cause too many problems. So God did not send Jesus to, to die in our place for us to be complacent and comfortable. But for a new life in him. I think that a lot of times we settle for complacency and comfortability. When... I don't know about you, but if you've ever read your Bible, it doesn't leave us alone. It does, it does poke the wasp nest a little bit. And so I, I would like some little leeway to mess around, to meddle a little bit today. Because I, I believe that God doesn't want us to be comfortable or complacent. And so let's draw nearer to him together. Amen? Uh, I, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of losing track of time now. 12, 13 years ago, um, I, I can't, we, we were on Highway 7, and we were living in Hutchinson at the time, and uh, there's this little restaurant. He used to be, um, I don't know, maybe if some of you remember, the, I think it was like the first professional soccer team, the Strikers. Anyone remember that? And so this guy named Tino was one of their players, and he had this, he all Italian, and he made this little restaurant that's still there, cute little coffee bar and big slices of pizza. And uh, we're going on Highway 7. We're on our way out to Hutch. And I'm like, oh, man. Now, I, 
there was something going on. I can't remember if we had been fasting or if it had just been a while since we had eaten. And I was already dealing with some problems in my body, rashes, different things going on. And I, we stopped because we loved it. We got their espresso and pizza. Come on, what's better, right? And I've met Tino, super nice guy. And at that time, at uh, rabbit trail, never mind. Anyway, I did good there. Self-control. Come on. Okay. So anyway, we, we got our pizza. We're in the car. We're driving. And I ta- I'm, Jane is driving. I'm in the passenger seat. And I take my first two bites of pizza. And within those first two bites, my arms started getting itchy. And I started having shallow breathing. And I'm like, okay, again, this is 12 or 13 years ago. And I'm like, oh my goodness, there's something in this pizza, right? Duh. And, and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And it started to make sense. And from that point on, we started to eliminate foods and try things. And then there was something that I'd never heard of before until it was popularized, I don't know, sometime later. I had a gluten allergy. I was celiac. And all of a sudden, things started to make sense. And when I removed this food from my diet, all of a sudden rashes from my body that had been there since I was a teenager went away in a couple weeks. Things started happening in my body. Now, right away, I was still trying to figure this out. People would have cake out. I would go to restaurants. Jane and I worked in restaurants. We met in restaurants. We know restaurants, right? It was a big deal to us. All of a sudden, Every time that I would eat this stuff, I would be a disaster. But when I started to eliminate it, things started to work really well. Now, what does that have to do with today? I had to learn self-control. I had to learn that when I do this, there is an actual consequence in my body. Now, when we read what Peter is saying to us, it is really the same thing. Hey, When you do not do these things, when you decide to live like the world and follow your own things and the desires that you have and you feed whatever you want to, there are going to be consequences. And unless you develop this muscle, this strength, you are going to have problems. And that was just like me at this time in my life. We need to master our own weaknesses and our own desires. Now, I think it's a fantastic weekend, the weekend of the 4th of July that we celebrate, that we have the freedom to do as we please. It's very American to say that, isn't it? We have the freedom of speech, the right to bear arms. We have the freedom to leave, to quit, to bear no responsibility. Except we're also a nation of laws, as long as we can stay within those borders. We celebrate our freedom. We celebrate the cost of freedom that we hold, or at least we should hold dear to us. The cost of so many lives that were given so we could do and have the freedoms that we have today. We are supposed to be independent from tyranny, of an oppressive government, and that's why we are here. That's why people have died and spilled their blood for us. We have so much to be thankful for, and we are truly indebted. Now, we also see the same freedom in our faith. 
that we do have the freedom. We have freedoms given to us because of what Christ did for us on the cross for our sins. Now, what are some other words for self-control? Self-mastery, discipline, restraint. Now, the question is, what does a lack of self-control look like? Well, here's where I'll meddle for a little bit. Our finances. Addictions. Anger. What we place before our eyes. How about our time management? Now, if I were to mention Netflix, Amazon, Prime, Hulu, YouTube, some might be going, well, stay away from that. How about your news channel? That might be a little too sensitive. How about gossiping? How about our language? Too much time on social media. How about this one? What you write on social media. How's your restraint there? How about covetousness? How about greed? How about constant desire for more? That sounds American. Worldly possessions, sensual appetites, love of self, desire for show and vanity, feeding appetites in which there is no end. How's our self-control, friends? Here's a few, few quotes. Joseph S. Excel, a theologian that I, I read a lot from, he says, and, and he, he is long past and... Um, I, just great, great writer. This is what he says. He says, passions indulged have a rapid and fearful growth. Passions indulged have a rapid and fearful growth. He also says this, Christianity was not made for the desert and the convent, but for the living and hostile world. And we are not to become saints by secluding ourselves from the outer world, but are to be saints in the uh, to be saints in it by the power of a new life. Powerful, powerful statement here. So many of us were even raised in homes that's like, well, let's just get them totally out of this world so they can't be affected or tainted. But here he's saying, and this is what we see from the Gospels, no, we are supposed to be a light. We are supposed to be a light shining in darkness. How can you be a light if you're in a desert all alone? We do this without even thinking about it. Now, uh, this was a, I'm referring to a, in September 20th, a 1998 segment of ABC News, News Magazine. Um, it was part of 2020, and it was John Stossel who interviewed this guy named Dr. Roy uh, Baumeister of Case Western uh, Reserve University. And he said, if you look at social media, personal problems facing people in the United States. We're talking drug, alcohol use, teen pregnancy, unsafe sex, school failure, shopping problems, gambling, over and over. The majority of them have self-control failures. As, a central, as central to them, studies have shown that self-control does predict success in a life over a very long time. And he refers to, and they did this study that was popularized in the 60s. If you go on YouTube or something like that and you do the marshmallow test, you can see these cute, fun little videos of them putting 
um, marshmallows, or in this case, in this study they did for four-year-olds, they put five pieces of candy, and they said, if you can sit here for 10 minutes and not eat these, you'll get five more. So you're going to double your amount of candy. And it's really cute. You know, the camera's on them, and they're licking it and nibbling and doing all the fun things. But here's what's crazy. They went back 30 years later, and they went back, and they started with this big study that they did, and they started checking on the ones who could not wait, who had no self-control. And they saw that without a doubt that it was very clear that those that did not have self-control when they were young when they became adults, they were a mess. In and out of the um, federal law system, prison, they had problems with their finances, problems with jobs, that this affected their whole life. Now, as I began to study this and look more into it, I started to realize that there are people that say, it doesn't even matter how you parent, it's just genetics, you are what you are. Now, anybody who's been alive for longer than five minutes knows that's not true, knows that how you train and raise a child has a huge, huge amount of this uh, about where a, a, a kid will go. But it is, self-control is a key indicator that they discovered of whether or not somebody will be successful. It says we can't control everything in life, but if there is one thing we can control and must control, it is the self. And they went on and said that if we're concerned about raising children to be successful and healthy and happy, forget about self-esteem, concentrate on self-control. It, this is, it, it's truly fascinating. Now, of course, this brings in the debate of, of nurture uh, versus nature, and that's, that's a whole other conversation. But Here's another one, a University of Michigan professor um, of social psychology, Richard Nisbet. He said he's the world's greatest authority on intelligence. And this is what he says. He said that he would rather have his son be high in self-control than intelligence. And this is what he said. He said self-control is key to a well-functioning life because our brain makes us easily susceptible to all sorts of influences, watching movies, showing violence, then we act in these ways as well. Even just listening to violent rhetoric makes us more inclined to be violent. You think about that. The foremost secular person on intelligence is saying that he would rather that his kid wasn't the smartest in the room, but that he could actually have self-control. Some of the greatest minds in uh, philosophy have a few things to say about this as well. Can we put the first one up from Aristotle for me? Aristotle says, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies, for the hardest victory is over self. Next one. This one is, this is um, really, if you want to talk about what Paul says in his arguments, it's very much in line with this. Through discipline comes freedom. Paul realized that those who think that they're free, but behave in a way that they can't fulfill all the appetites of the flesh, are a slave to themselves. They're a slave to the body. They're a slave to the world. And Paul talks about the freedom is when you're free from the hold that the world has on you. Through discipline comes freedom. Plato, who was underneath him and learned from him, from the first and the best victory is to conquer Self. So even in the world, I, I have given multiple quotes 
of this is not from a Christian perspective. This is the world saying, hey, if you cannot take control of yourself and your appetites, you are going to have a train wreck. So this isn't only a Christian doctrine, although it's a Christian doctrine. Both of these philosophers, along with Socrates, believe strongly in controlling ourselves. This is now where we separate, okay? So I want to make a distinction between some of these philosophies of man and where Christianity separates. Where we separate from secular humanism or where we part ways, even though New Testament writing does have philosophy in some of their writings, self-control and self-mastery is not to attain freedom through and by ourselves. But freedom is through Christ and through Christ alone. The disciples of Jesus who, who write to us, full of the Holy Spirit, highlight the importance of a few things. First of all, our flesh or human desires, if we give in, will de derail us. Okay? The book of Proverbs is really says, uninhibited desires of the flesh will bring disaster and grief upon you and your family. Every chapter is talking about this. The principles of Proverbs are saying, hey, if you follow God and what he has for your life, things will be much better. And as we know, that every day has enough problems for itself, right? Let's not add to them. Self-control, restraint, now, the gospel says this, just as there was a hefty price for our freedom here in the USA, but far more important than our American freedoms is what eternal life was brought through through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to us, God, wrapped with skin and bone to live a perfect life, to become our sacrifice, to be the perfect lamb, to be sacrificed for you and for me. And there is this freedom because there was a debt paid for us. It, it, it's called a ransom. So if you think about that, we, we, were, we were held hostage and there was this ransom paid by, by Christ's body and, and by his blood so we could gain freedom. Powerful. In this, we became heirs. It wasn't just that we were set free. It's that we are now heirs with Jesus Christ. The salvation given to us through the death of Christ should never be minimized, trampled on, or forgotten. I have a list of four things before we partake in communion today. Do you lack in self-control in your life? So here are a few things, and this is not an exhaustive list for us, but let's go ahead and take a look at these. One, confession. John 1 talks about that when light shines in the darkness, that the darkness cannot comprehend it. And this is what happens with us when we have sin in our lives, when we have areas of the that we have let loose and we have not gained that muscle of self-control and discipline, that we will remain in the darkness. But I have seen this in my own life, and I'm sure that you've seen it in yours as well, that when you expose something, 
when you shine the light on it, when you say, hey, I am having a problem here, this is confession, an important part of our faith. James uh, 5.16 says it. It says that we need to confess our sins one to another. We want to remove the power that a lack of self-control, but that sin has in our lives by confession. Confess to God. Find somebody that you trust, and that will come to one of our next ones, too. Number two, fellowship. Here it is, with other overcomers. It is imperative that you and I are around other believers, other overcomers, other people trying to, to work on areas of their life that they know that they need to work on. This strength will come in numbers. It will come when you are around and being energized with other people. And of course, life groups, being in church, building Christian relationships is foundational for this fellowship to happen. So I want to encourage you, do it when you can. Be involved. Number three, ask the Holy Spirit for help and strength. Do the work. Freedom always has a cost. I think that sometimes you say, well, I asked God for help. Yeah, what did you do about it? Right? The Holy Spirit will come alongside us. He's going to help us. He is going to encourage us. And you know what? We still have to do the work. And just like we, we saw from Paul's writings to the philosophers, that self-control, that working on self, brings freedom. Number four. Communion with God, partakers in its nature. Would the worship team please come up? You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.